Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Seriously, man, you don't really think we're going to see any Canutes and 41 Rockies jerseys here at Coors Field, do you? I mean, no offense, I know you're a local and all, but that was a long time ago. You never know. I've seen some old guy jerseys around here, haven't you? In fact, I actually heard from a really good source. You mean you saw it on Twitter. Whatever. I heard that Chad Cool's wearing 41 now for the Rockies because he grew up a Milwaukee Brewers fan and he watched me wearing number 41 back in the day. That, you know, that's pretty cool, right? I see what you did there, Mark. Yeah, okay, wait. Look, he's right over there. Let's just go ask him. Well, you know, we probably shouldn't bother him. What do you mean? We're media. That's our job. Follow me. Uh, okay, but, but let me ask him. Hey, Chad, I'm Mark Knudsen. This is Manny Randall. We do a podcast called the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. He came up with the name. Congrats on your great start to the season. Are you liking it here? He's got a question for you, Chad. Okay, I heard somewhere that you're wearing number 41 here as a Rocky because, you know, I wore it a while back. A long okay, while back. whatever. I wore 41 in Milwaukee, as I'm sure you know, since I heard you grew up a Brewers fan and all. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, grew up in Delaware. Um, you know, kind of watched the Phillies kind of growing up, but uh, never really heard of you. So when they gave me 41, I don't think it really had some... Uh, significance behind it sorry yeah what's what show am i on it's the park adjusted rockies podcast and now here are your hosts mark knudson and manny randawa when you're not at pennant race it's time to tinker with your lineup try new guys in new positions and even new spots in the batting order like almost everything else in the game how batting orders are constructed these days is vastly different from even a decade ago is it better or worse this week on the park adjusted rockies podcast we're rejoined by blake street bomber ellis burks a guy who could hit in any spot in the batting order in any era. We get Elsa's take on the Rockies' new guys and how the best batting orders are constructed. That's right after this. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Many of the season's winding down, and we can talk Rockies baseball, but I think something that's that kind of flown under the radar this year is the way the lineups are being constructed, not just here, but everywhere. You know, in Coors Field, you need a special athlete to play center field. He's got to be somebody big and strong and fast and, and do a lot of different things. There's very very few guys who've done it really well for a long period of time. And our special guest obviously did that. Ellis Burks was a great center fielder here and a, and a guy who could hit lead off if you needed him to here. Ellis, thanks for, for joining us, first of all. But I know you've been watching a lot of baseball since your days ended, my days ended. But I, I do, what do you think now when you look around and you see guys like Kyle Schwarber and, and now here Ryan McMahon and, and guys who are not prototypical leadoff guys hitting in that first spot well you know a lot of times the managers automatically assuming okay this guy can perhaps get us off to a one and nothing start hmm. okay get that first run on the board i mean kyle swerber of course is you know he's, he's hitting a lot of home runs aaron judge is hitting a lot of home runs and plus you know as the yankees i think he's getting closer to that record you're trying to get him as, as many as yeah. possible so, you know, that's another way to look at it. But the table setters are gone. I mean, the Ricky Henderson, Ricky could give you a one nothing lead. You sure. could have done that. With Paul Mahler, he could give you a one nothing lead. But the table setter types of leadoff hitters are, are they hitting ninth now? Well, you know what? That part of the game, to me, it's it's like a dinosaur. It's, it's almost over. 
You know, it's it's over yeah. because those are the kind of guys that gives you they'll give you great at bats. They'll work the pitcher, work the count, mm-hmm. you know, work a walk, perhaps. And if you lay a pitch down the middle, you're gonna hit a home run. How many times do you see that now? I mean, I don't know what the league leader with walks is right now, but I can tell you the league leader in strikeouts. I mean, you know, you're gonna be <laughs> sweet a lot. These guys are not thinking about walking as much. I mean, the on base percentages are up for some of these guys, of course, walks are you know, part of that. But for the most part, there's a heck of a lot more swing and misses. There's a heck of a lot more strikeouts than when I played opposed to now. So, I mean, you have to take a lot of stuff into consideration. Do you think, Ellis, we're ever going to, the pendulum's ever going to swing back to the point where we we have the type of leadoff hitter that was prevalent in your guys' day? Where Willie you know, McGee. The, yeah. You know, the guy, guy can steal you some base. I mean, a big part of it is, is um, Mark and I were talking about this before, big part of this is that, I just don't steal bases anymore. Um, and so it's like, what's, you know, because of the, the analytics, it's like, all right, if you can't, if the guy, you know, if you can't, if you can't steal at a 75% clip, because guys average, average, average in baseball is 250. So if you can't mm-hmm. steal at 75%, then just why bother kind of thing. Are, are we ever going to get back to that? Because oftentimes when things get into excess territory where it's just too, it just, it goes too far one way, things come back and, we talked to Dante Bichette about, you know, the hitting part as far as contact versus powers. And I think that's starting to come back a little bit where it's like people aren't maybe teams aren't as willing to allow allow guys to and you can chime in on this too, sell out for power at the expense of well, contact. But do you think we're gonna get back to the the that that type of leadoff hitter ever again? Well, you know, that's a good point you made there because um, you know, you have a lot of guys you know, that's not your typical leadoff hitters, okay? Uh, you also have a lot of guys that are, you know, swing and miss kind of guys, like I said earlier. But it's still, I don't think, you know, with the league making these moves now for next year, you don't have the shift. You don't have certain things. You're trying to speedy up the game a little bit more. But I think the fans are looking for a little bit more excitement. Right. They want to see those guys stealing bags, hitting runs, moving guys over instead of just waiting for the big inning, the big home run to come, you need to start creating some things. And I think, uh, you know, slowly but surely, I believe certain teams are starting to do that. Look at the Cardinals. Look, you see how successful they are still doing the things that they've done in the past as far as moving guys over, hitting runs, you know, steals. Everything is is the same there. They, they didn't change. They still have analytical part of the game, the analytics, of course. That's a resource, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to change everything. You know, right. so and th- that's what I mean by baseball. Baseball still should be the game getting on, moving guys over, you know, still in the bag, creating runs, making things happen, making it exciting for the people. Are these moves are going to these rule changes are going to help? I mean, now now, a you know, a single that's been a single for 100 years up the middle will more often become a single again. And yeah, uh, things like that. Are you think that's going to maybe is that going to do the trick? Well, I think that's going to help. And I, also, I think. They're, they're, they're making the bags bigger. They, they yeah. want to start creating different things. You know what I'm saying? And right. I think that's going to help. And I think, uh, you know, that extra three, four inches on each side will definitely help when you're talking about stealing bags. Yeah, I think they're, they're making the small adjustments that it's going to take. Because the other thing, too, is that when you get guys, when you get teams who start to be the first ones to return to that sort of style, it puts a lot of pressure on pitchers. It puts a lot of pressure on yeah. guys who are just not used to that sort of game anymore they're like yeah they just it's like guys have to think about holding guys on more they got to think about well you know you, know, you can distract talk to mark. you know yeah mark mark could be a good example for that you know as a pitcher mark you knew 
when a guy got on base that was fast, that you know, yeah. create stuff, it, it made havoc Ricky. for you. That, that's yeah. why Don yeah. Baylor's offensive philosophy was so awesome. You guys stole a ton of bases with EY. More traffic on the bases, splits up the pitcher's concentration, and you're more likely to get a fat when you can hit out of the ballpark. Exactly. It's just a simple philosophy, and I don't understand why more teams don't do that instead of letting a pitcher nibble and trying to do this instead. Get in his head, get guys on base, get guys in in movement, and then he's yeah. more likely liable to make a mistake. Also, also, it's like teach guys how to steal bags, right? Like, I mean, yeah. like, True. like in terms of reading pitchers and stuff, I know they do that, but like more, like, I mean. If it's a seventy-five percent success rate, you need get to set, get to eighty. You know, get it, get it, so that you can read pitchers enough and get guys who have great sprint speed, get great instincts, and and put them in the leadoff spot and make man, them have them man, have them do that. Right? You and I've talked about the slide step before. I'm not a slide step guy. I don't believe in the slide step, but a lot of guys do it, and they don't. If they're not trying to steal, they don't have to do it. But if they do it, you can't get as much on your pitch out of a slide yeah. step. You cannot get as much downward trajectory on your pitch. You cannot do a lot of things. Power-wise, out of slide step, you're going to get better pitches to hit if you've got your mate forcing a guy into using the slide step. So, again, it all fall, favors what you're talking about, a, a return to that kind of, of game action. Sure. And, and somebody like LSU would have been, today, you would have been batting leadoff. There is no doubt about that. You you fit the mold perfectly for somebody who would bat leadoff today. Did you ever lead I mean, off, I, by the way? I think, I think you yeah, did a little bit, I actually, right? I actually led off for six years. Okay. My, first, my first six years in the league, I led off for the Red Sox. So that was something that I was accustomed to. I was used to it. Even at the minor league level, they started doing that to me in double A's, I guess, to get me used to it. Mm-hmm. I never was comfortable with it at first. But then, I, you know, I thought about, OK, maybe this is going to be my next move at the major league level, which it was. By so, the yeah, way, yeah. Ellis came up on a Red Sox team that hadn't seen the type of player he was in decades i mean this yeah. was this was a station to station team this was not right. a team that that, that i should already bags and they were not a team that took the extra base and ellis right. was doing that and fans there had not seen that and kind of a an environment where it's not done and him kind of blazing that trail i should have i should know this already but ellis what when you batted leadoff what did where did bat boggs was because he I, I just pictured in my mind he was the leadoff guy no well boggs led off sometimes as well he hit behind uh, you, right? Moved, like in a second. When they moved me to fourth in the lineup, to fourth, third and fourth and fifth in the lineup, Wade led off. Okay. But for the most part, Wade batted third after me. It was myself, uh, Marty Barrett, and then the, then the big boppers came along. By the way, Manny, have you looked at that scattering report I gave you? I gave Manny yeah. a handwritten scattering report the other day yeah, yeah. I, I found of the Red Sox. And what did it say about Ellis? Let me let me grab it actually. Go I on, don't remember go what on. it go said on. about Ellis, but that'll be interesting um, to see that. It was analytics before we had computers. And <laughs> couple, I, I, Chuck Hartenstein, our pitching coach, drew those up, and I just found a couple of copies in, a, in an old box. So I wanted I gave it to Manny to him, for him to do analytics on. We'll see. Sure. Comes. If you were who today, I mean, Rockies are having Ryan McMahon bat leadoff, which blows me away. Ryan McMahon, Randall Grichik has batted leadoff. Um, obviously, Charlie Blackman used to be that guy. He doesn't run well anymore. Who's a, who's the guys out there that you're surprised you're batting leadoff? Surprised? Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, usually, you know, they they usually try to put that home run type guy or you know a slugger in, in the leadoff spots now. But I can't really think right off the top of my head. Aaron Judge, of course, that'd be yeah. one. That's one for That's sure. But, yeah, yeah, and you mentioned Schwarber. Yeah. You know those. Power hitters at the number one slot. I mean, that's the only alternative I can think of as a manager. He's just trying to get that one to nothing. How would you create a lineup? How would you create your perfect lineup? I would start, you know, with the guy that made solid contact, the guy that put the ball in play. That's what you want, typical leadoff guy. Me too. You want a 
occasionally bunt, bring that infield in, slap yep. one by on base, steal your bag, get in scoring position for the other guys. Yep. You know, that's that second hitter, you know, butt him over, move him over, hit a, a sharp shot to right field, get the guy in scoring position. You won nothing in the first inning. Come on, yep. for Christ's sake. Without, I mean, I, without, I, without playing for the home run. Yep, I'm with exactly. you. I, that's how I would do it too. I, it surprised me when, when the Rockies started putting Ryan McMahon in that spot, and he's flourished. He's doing great in the leadoff spot. Sure. But it just surprises me because it's not a guy with foot speed. It's not a guy that's going to move. He doesn't have back control. He grounds out because the shift is still in play. He grounds out to right field an awful lot. Um, yeah, I was, he has to deal with the shift. And that, yeah. to me, isn't, isn't the guy that is your prototypical leadoff hitter, but it's working. And I know analytics are behind that. Analytics are the reason guys are doing that. You mentioned the extra at-bat. That's one of them. But they, yeah. they obviously have some other reasons why they're batting guys in the leadoff spot who wouldn't normally in our day have been in that, that position. Who, who are the yeah. Red Sox hitting leadoff right now? The Red Sox, let's see. They had Kike Hernandez leading yeah. off for a little bit. They've had – Who's uh, your kind of guy? Yeah, I mean – he did a good job. He got hurt earlier in the season. He was out for like 30, 40 games. Yeah. But, uh, you know, th there's a lot of different guys that they've had in that position. Let's see. Who else did they there? I just think lineup construction is something that doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's really yeah. critical to how a team is able to produce runs, especially if you've got a half of the order that's not doing anything. you got to find some way to make that just not a, a, a blow-through for the pitcher. You've got to find yeah. something down there to, that gets some – at least, at least get the turnover the batting order. At least do something like that to get to get guys uh, opportunities to, to drive in runs. Get some guys to get on base. Well, right. they, they, they can. I had the lead off guy with Jaron Duran, but he he came up. He was hot at first, but then he kind of cooled off. And you know, pitchers made the adjustment on him. They had to send him down to AAA, and it's just been uh, a mixture of guys at that position for the we'll, Red we'll Sox. Change, we'll change topics here in a second. But who's the best leadoff guy you ever saw? Is it Ricky? Ricky? Is it Ricky? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I, I, I'm still I'm still a Molitor guy. I'm I'm biased, but I'm still a Paul yeah, Molitor no way, guy. Dude, I, you're biased, but but I man, Ricky Molitor, Molitor is great. But man, Ricky is there won't be another another one of that. Yeah, uh, Molitor was a great leadoff guy. He was a great number two hitter. He was a, just a great hitter in general. Right. But for me, a typical leadoff guy who's gonna not only steal second, third. I mean, this guy would hit you a home run as, as yeah. well, just like Molitor yeah. would. But Ricky yeah. just he was just that that leadoff guy that you yeah. you draw. Ricky Henderson type. That's who you want. He's the Probably definition, right, right? He's the he's the he's the standard. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you have any good um, Ricky stories, but um, but there's so many good Ricky stories out there. There's uh, the one that the one that I that comes to mind for me first is um, the the one where Harold Reynolds Harold Reynolds told the story. He's like the one year in the '80s that Ricky didn't win the stolen base crown was he, when he was hurt. I guess it was like '87 or something. I think uh, I think Harold Reynolds had he won it but i think he had like 60 he won it with 60 steals and ricky calls him up according to reynolds he calls him up in the offseason right after the season ends like he goes harold's like hello <laughs> he goes henderson here and he's like it's funny that he said ricky here he's like henderson here yeah 60 stolen bases man you ought to be ashamed you would have had 60 at the all-star break and then click and hung it up that's right. <laughs> I can see him doing that too. <laughs> yeah, like, no you doubt. Ever, did you ever had, have any uh, any kind of run-ins with Ricky in terms of uh, good stories? No, not necessarily. I mean, Ricky just was – he was just one of those guys that you wanted to go up and talk to, kind of, you know, pick his brain a little bit because I did some lead-off as well. You know, we'd be in the outfield when they came into town, you know, Oakland or Toronto, whichever team he was with, or the Yankees. You know, I would always run out and talk to Ricky just about different stuff, just to understand – what his mindset was, you know, as a leadoff. That's not an easy task to understand no, his mindset. That's not easy. I know, but you know what? Ricky was a very smart baseball player. 
You have yeah. to really. He didn't open up to a lot of people, but you know, if you if you got in his circle, he would definitely open up to you. Just start talking baseball and tell you the little things, the little movement he he, he looks for in a pitcher, that kind of stuff. You know, you 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 seem to be a real student of the game. Um, I got I've got I've got this. Uh, I think the 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 scouting report I have here is incomplete because it doesn't have you on this. It might be missing a Does page. It? It's got it's got Reed and Boggs and Greenwell and. Some mm-hmm. other guys on here, but uh, is there anybody you want to hear about uh, 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 that was on the '89 team? How the, how the Brewers were going to pitch him? Uh, the pitch him. The, uh, let's go with a right-handed. Was Jim Rice in there? Uh, this was after Jim Rice. This oh, this was '89. I don't think he was there anymore, right? Yeah. How about we got we got Reed, Kucher, Boggs, uh, Greenwell, Evans, Osaski, Cerrone, Gedman, Heap, Romero, Roman, Rivera, Williams, Quintana. Let's go with Greenwell. Okay. Yeah, he was a good friend of you. Breakers, breakers early, fastballs late, especially up in up at the letters and in. That was the these are the notes on uh, on Mike Greenwell. Uh, would you agree with that? I don't know. I don't know how much you knew Mike in terms of how how you you were in a pitcher. I, I, I guess I should ask Mark that question about. But uh, well, listen, every every scouting report started basically started with hard in, soft away, you know, up and in, down and away. That's based general. That's just everybody who started that way, unless they made you change. When th- with those type of reports, you definitely can't miss. When you say hard in, breakers away, don't miss that fastball in because Greenwell was a, a very aggressive s- swinger. He would go out and attack that first pitch, and if you didn't get it in your spot, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, and he hit off that left field wall all day long. Mm-hmm. No, we got we got we also have the A's from that year and the Yankees, uh, and we've got Baylor on the A's breakers and away fastballs up low ball hitter that's that, that's it on don baylor but yeah. uh, you know don baylor for the for you trivia buffs out there don baylor was the first guy ellis burks ever drove in in the major leagues and that yes that's true oh, and wow. yeah and uh in Anna, in uh, against the in Anna, anaheim i yeah. think it was yeah. and uh so that was cool because then of course he became your manager you know in in colorado but um we also got Ricky here because we got the A's. It says likes fastball up out over the plate. Who doesn't? Yeah. Um, keep fastball down and use changeups and sliders when ahead in the count. I mean, Ricky, how do you how do you do anything against Ricky Henderson? I mean, that guy. You know what? Well, I'll note is that we did not write those down and have cards in our hats and have to look at them between pitches. Yeah. We it's we kind of memorized that stuff for one out right. there. We didn't have to look at wristbands or any kind of stuff back then. Ellis, you got to tell this. You got to tell this story because we're talking about uh, players and how you pick their brains. Barry Bonds. Against John Smoltz, Sunday Night Baseball. It's like your second week with the Giants uh, candlestick. And you told me a story for the book about how he hit two homers in that game. And you had asked him before that, how's he going to pitch you? Yeah, I told him. I mean, we had this conversation before, prior to the game. And he's and I asked him, you know, how is Smoltz going to pitch you opposed to pitching me? So he told me, he said he's going to come inside off the plate. Then he's going to go away. But then he's going to come back inside. And I'll be dang if he didn't do that exact thing. He says he's going to hit him out, right? Came in off the plate, ball, fastball away, ball, second pitch, I mean, third pitch, boom, home run to right field. He crosses home plate, and he says, one more. I'll be dang the next pitch, next at bat, first pitch, got him. I'm like, dude, come on now. <laughs> it's not that easy. And Barry, Barry knew exactly what he wanted to do. He didn't keep a book like a lot of people. He knew everything. He knew how that guy got him out the time before. He knew how he was going to pitch him again. One of the smartest hitters that I've ever seen. He could tell you what you're doing wrong. I told him at one point to watch me, my first couple at bats, 
to see what I was doing wrong. He says, okay, let me watch you in batting practice first and take it to the game. That very next day, he came up to me and told me what I was doing, just slightly dipping my shoulder, not firing quite down to the ball and, and you know, going downward toward the ball. And that's exactly what I did that game and got three hits. So, I mean, he, the guy could be a, a phenomenal hitting coach. He he knows the game. He knows what pitchers are doing up at the plate. I mean, on the mound to him. There was one There was one game. I'm batting behind Barry. It was a 3-2 count. I mean, the pitch wasn't even halfway there. He was already unstrapping his game, <laughs> his Velcro elbow pad. And like, how the heck can he see that? the flight of that ball that quick, that early out of that pitcher's release point to know it was going to be off the plate. And he did. I mean, the ball had, the catcher hadn't even caught the ball yet and he was already unstrapping. So greatest like, greatest can, player I've ever I've, seen play I, baseball I, in my life. I can tell you guys, I can tell you this story to show that there's an exception to every rule. Okay. Face barrier at Mile High Stadium, 1994, three, two count guys on base. I threw him a fastball literally right down the middle. He took it for strike three. That's incredible. You are one of very you know few why? people who can you know say why? that. I, he looked at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> and why obviously, did he didn't suicidal. plan Why did you for, do that? He didn't plan for crazy. <laughs> he didn't plan right? for crazy. He was, he That's was looking for something else, and he didn't plan for crazy. Unbelievable. I mean, you know how I feel about this, Mark, but he yes. belongs in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know. It's amazing because, you know, that's another that's a testament to how good of a hitter Ellis Brooks was, too. Yep. There are also a few people in the world that can say they hit they protected Barry Bonds in the lineup. You, you know, know, I mean, that's yeah. and Ellis, you know, I mean, um, you know, it was else it was your birthday last week. You know, happy happy birthday belated. Um, and we you know, we we um, we were hoping to have you on last week, but we understand you were probably very busy doing other things. You're also a, a studio analyst for and uh, Nesson. I understand you wrapped that up today. But you know, your career, I think people really remember you fondly here in Colorado. I'm, I'm sure they do elsewhere too, San Francisco, Cleveland, Boston. Um, but they remember you fondly as one of the most underrated players, merely in the game's history. I think because um, of because every time, yeah, there were injuries, but every time you played, every time you were in the lineup, you produced. It was it, you had that you were an automatic. You you knew this guy was going to be great when he's in the lineup, and um, they had that 1996 season where you went. 40 30 um yep. and just a mvp type season but we know how those kinds of conversations happen with with colorado yep. but uh just a, a, a just an incredible you know it's you know certainly a hall of fame you're a hall of fame talent do you um when you look at this rockies team now you know they 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 signed chris bryan he didn't play much because he got hurt uh they have some younger players now their farm system's kind of starting to rise a little bit uh, a lot actually and uh they actually have something to look forward to from within their system but do you think that this team should continue to go in the direction of you know draft and develop especially with pitching and that's what we are a draft and develop organization we can't really look outside that's why it's head scratcher with the Bryant thing but that's why we can't really look outside too much and can just continue to do that until they finally get a winner or is there a, is there some way you can piece together like maybe what the Cubs did where they broke it all down? That's one thing. The Rockies aren't going to break it all down. They never do that. Never. But they broke it all down, and then they they got they 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 basically got the position pl- their position player farm system was the, one of the greatest of all time probably. And then they bought the pitching. Obviously, that's something that is a question mark here in Colorado if you can actually do that. What do you think about the Rockies as we move forward now? Well, I I do think the Rockies have a great farm system. You know, all the way from A ball up to AAA level, they have guys that can come in and contribute. 
uh, you know, spot start as a pitcher, or you can bring uh, one of these young regular players in that can perhaps uh, do the job the entire season. Now, on the other hand, I don't think that, you know, the Rockies market is pretty good. I mean, it's not a small market. You know, you still drawing a lot of fans at that stadium. There's a, a lot of. I think of they're rep- like sixth, sixth in attendance this year, and they're and they're a fourth, they're a last place team. Exactly. You're talking about a lot of revenue, a lot of money here and there. Now they did go out and get Chris Bryant. It didn't work out. He was hurt most of the year, but you know, you you do have to bring some guys up from your system, of course. But you can also add some pieces. You know, uh, you know when you talk about you, you're getting rid of guys like. You know, I'm a little biased when it comes to guys that I, I really knew I, I liked a lot, like Nolan Arenado, uh, Trevor Story. You know, those type players, you knew it was going to take X amount of dollars to keep these guys. You got Nolan signed up for, I don't know, six years, how many years it was. And then you trade him two or three years into that deal. I didn't understand that particular move. Okay. Now, with, with nobody, Trevor. Nobody did. Yeah. With Trevor, it was a different story. Okay. You got Trevor Story. You know he was going to be demanding a lot of money coming up on free agency. He signed a nice chunk deal with the Red Sox, of course. Got injured, but, you know, for the most part, produced, still producing right now. But, uh, you know, the Rockies definitely have the talent in their system. But instead of just all-out rebuild, they can just add a couple of pieces here and there. It doesn't have to be top-line premier-type players of $250, $300 million players. You can get that borderline guy that's right there that can produce at Coors and be productive and, and uh, help this lineup that they have this talent. That See, they that's have. the thing, man. Like, I, 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 you know, Nolan was here with the Cardinals last month. And so obviously the conversations, ca- you know, came back up about, you know, him leaving and, and, and yeah. now it's the second year and everything and what went wrong. And it's like, you know what? And, and we had, uh, we, you know, we had uh, Tom Reynolds on last week, a former coach of the Rockies and Expos manager. And he, he was pretty candid. He's like, you got to hold on to your superstars, man. I mean, you yeah. got to hold on to the, and this is kind of what you just said, which is you had, you had story LeMahieu and Arnado, three of the best infielders in baseball on the same club. And you had closer to peak level, Charlie Blackman on the same club. Yeah. And you had a young pitching staff. That was the rotation. That was pretty good. Maybe the best yeah. that the team had ever had. And they couldn't get it done. Why? Cause they couldn't add the complimentary pieces, the guys that are, you know, one or two war players, not guys that, you know, you need to spend big bucks on, but guys that are solid players that, you know, are going to fill in your holes well and be very good, very good supporting cast for the the, the big three, big four guys in your lineup. Yeah. And I think the Rockies then once they lost all that, and really it was a matter of Arnado pushing his way out, I think, because he was unhappy with that very thing that they didn't build, you know, they gave him a big contract and then they don't build enough around him. Mm-hmm. And then story was like, I feel like he was probably halfway out the door after Arenado was gone because it's like, this is all collapsing in around him because LeMahieu then left. And it's like, now it's like they don't have an identity, you know? And and I think now with the farm system starting to, starting to, you know, move up in the rankings, maybe they can build an identity again. But like you said, I think that's key. You got to build, you got to, even if you bring guys like Tolia and, and, and Tovar and Montero and these guys up and they start producing, you need to bring in some veteran pieces, some pieces that are going to be very good complimentary pieces. And they just never did that. And that's, yeah. I think that's the problem here. Well, you, another thing you, you also, once you have that premier player that you think is going to be that superstar that you think he's going to be throughout what, five, six years from, you should lock him up. I mean, you, yeah. you, you other clubs do that. <laughs> Keep him <certain>, happy. <laughs> I mean, 
can't do it to every player, of course, but yeah. you know, the player that you know that he's going to be that guy that you're going to build around, you want to keep him there. Right. You know, I don't know. Unfortunately, for, they've done that with the wrong guy. I did with Charlie Blackman, who's going to cost him $18 million next season. And he's yeah. not what he used to be. He's not worth that kind of money now. And they've made some bad decisions on it. hasn't been that they haven't been willing to spend money. It's how they've spent it that's been the problem. They've spent it in the wrong yeah. places, doing well, the you, wrong wait, guys. It's bad judgment. You, you wait five or six years before you give him that big extension. Mm-hmm. That, that's a problem as well. Yeah, they, they, That's the thing. Is he was 31, man. I mean, they gave him $108 million. Yeah. At 31, he's going to be making $18 million next year. Thirty, Good player. Not $100 million for your age 31 to 36. Oh. Now, you know what? It's funny because if that was Ellis Burks, 31 to 36, you know, because, I mean, you you did things that – you almost did things that nobody had ever done in your 37-38 seasons when you were 37-38 with the Giants because you, you, you drove in 96 runs in less than 400 at-bats in both seasons. Yep. And it's like yep. nobody had ever driven in 100 runs in less than – uh, 400 at bats and that was that that age you like you told me i'll never forget it i said how did you how did you get so much be- better it's like i'm like a fine wine bro <laughs> you, know, uh, you get better I, with age i tell you what mark this is what i was i said if i would have known about the rbis with less than 400 at bats i would have said man keep me in the line <laughs> yeah give me give me, <laughs> give me 10 more at bats we'd only yeah. known then what we know now i yeah, uh, with you on that part i'm not but one night you didn't drive in a run though was uh anniversary just passed yesterday they don't normal through the only no hitter at coors field you were part of that game uh i remember it was miserable a miserable night i know there was like a three-hour rain delay before it even got started it was cold i left i was done i'm out of there uh, you guys had to stay in play. There wasn't very many people still in the seats to see this historical moment. But what did you see that night? Because that was that's a night that's probably never going to be matched. I tell you what, that was a magical night for him, for Nomo, because it seemed like, I mean, he didn't, his velocity was 92 to 95, okay? But yeah. that finger was dancing. That yeah. was a, didn't even hit. And that was, I tell you what, that year was my best year in the major leagues by far. And I was locked in on his pitches each and every time. But as soon as I went to swing, that ball was out of the radar. It was mm-hmm. gone. I, I ended up striking out, I think, to, to end the game. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Mark, how did that – You're as a pitcher who's pitched at altitude, mm-hmm. the only one of the three of us – Ellis, did you ever get on the mound? Ever? Yeah, in high school. Not No, I mean, in majors? Because now we see it all the time, Ooh. right? With yeah, it happens all the time now. Dante oh, did. He did? <laughs> No, not in the big leagues. Not in the big leagues. I was independent ball later on because he wanted to try something. Because I would have been trying to gas him. I wouldn't have been. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. A split finger fastball. You'd end up on the IL if you did that. A split finger fastball up here to be moving around that much. I know it was kind of weird because it was raining and it was cold. It was it was, it was very humid. You need humidity to make okay. the ball move like that. And so I think, some of the climate conditions were yeah, the climate, favorable. No question that that helped him. There's no doubt that helped him. The heavy air, the, the wet air had to help him because a split finger is it's all arm action. It's got to look like an else can tell you. It's got to look just like a fastball yep. halfway to the plate. And then the bottom falls out. It's almost gravity that, that helps that. And then, and if at this altitude, I know, else I don't know if you know this, knuckleball mm. pitchers like Tom Candiotti wouldn't pitch here. When Candy came through town, he would he, he got skipped because the ball did just not did re, did not do things in this right, in right. this climate, and but so you know, they would skip guys like that. That that's one of those things where and, and Nomo also he had he added deception in it as well, twisting and turning around yep. Yep. to his back and his back working his, his body. Yep. Like yeah, he'd have the ball behind his back leg, yep. and he'd come with that pitch out of out of nowhere, yep. and it was. It, 
was yeah, he, what, he, what, what point in that game did you think did you first think uh, personally that he might do this here? I talked to EY. It was around the sixth inning. Mm-hmm. I told him, I said, EY, he's got a no hitter going. You know, we gotta we gotta do something here. And, and you know, everything you know, you try to bunt one. You can't. You, you foul that off. You know, it was in trouble when you hit a line drive right at somebody. Yep. It's gonna be magical. always one of those. Always. Yeah. And it's the same thing that happened to us. You want to talk no hitters uh, against um, what was it Al Leiter in in Florida? Yeah. Same year. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, two no-hitters in the same season. And against that lineup, that's pretty that's uh yeah, that's pretty that's pretty amazing against that yeah, that lineup. Because you had I mean Larry was out for much of that season, so I don't know if he was in there for, for he probably wasn't in there, but uh, against yeah. you guys, the bombers, that's that's quite a feat to say. Hey, but you know what's funny about that? I thought about this last year. The the um Seattle Mariners got no hit twice. I believe it was last year. Once by the Orioles against that left-handed pitcher mm-hmm. that got hurt means, and mm-hmm. then they get at home. I'm like, whoa, yeah. And it brought back those memories as far as the Rockies getting no hit twice in. The yeah, season. I mean, no hitters have proliferated. I get excited when there's a perfect game going because we haven't seen one of those in ten years. Yeah, Felix, yeah. Felix yeah. Hernandez. We got a few a few minutes to go here. Give us an update on Trevor's story as far as it's been kind of a season of you know, disenchantment for him in the first year at Boston. Obviously he came, he got in late and, and had to adjust to a new position, got hurt twice. He's hurt now. He's got a heel thing. Have you, have you been around him enough to know kind of what, where his mind's at right now in yeah, Boston? I, mean, I actually talked to him uh, during the course of the season and I told him, I said, you know what, Trevor, it's, it's always going to be tough when you change leagues because yeah. you're not familiar mm-hmm. with a lot of pitchers that you're going to see on a daily basis, especially in the East. When you're playing mm-hmm. the the American League East 19 times, of course, next year it's going to be a more balanced schedule. Right. You know, and I said, it's going to be tough. So you're going to really have to do your homework on these guys, you know, and, and he tried to live up to a, a big contract right away. Yep. He didn't. Did he really put that, like that pressure on himself like that? Man, you have to. There's no yeah. way you can't. You have yeah. to. Yeah, it's natural. I mean, you're going to do that. Yep. Anytime you go to a new team, you got a you know big contract. The, the expectation, especially in a place like Boston, where right, you sure. know, expect you to perform. Okay? Big media market. Yep. Totally different from here. And he had that. Tried, and he had that unbelievable season, like month where he hit like twelve homers and just yeah. But yeah. then but he kind of slumped again. Prior to that, he he got off to this rough start because he didn't have a full spring training. Yeah. Right? He had the birth of his child. He was hurt. He came into the season maybe a week or two into the season that was his spring training that first month okay and i talked to him about i told him i said hey this is your spring training so basically you're gonna have to you know just go day to day see how you feel track the ball i said the most important thing that you should do is track the ball even when you're on on deck circle see that pitcher's release point just track the ball you know he started doing that that very next day he hits a home run in atlanta and then he got really started. He got hot. And, uh, you know, he calls me up and, and he shot me a text. I mean, uh, he said, hey, man, I really appreciate the the help. It really, you know, what you told me really helps, the, the, this and that. So, you know, that that felt good on my part to kind of help him out, get him going. But it's always tough yep. to change. Leave. I don't think I, I, I don't think people in Boston, I mean, people in Boston much more than elsewhere. But I don't think people know just how much you've done for the Boston Red Sox organization in your life um uh, you know 2004 a big big part behind the scenes of making that championship happen doc roberts told me i I asked him for the book i said and he said people don't know how much he did for us 
you know, as a, yeah. as a teammate and as a veteran presence. And he was like a father to me on the baseball field. He said, I still use stuff that he told me with my, with the Dodgers now, you know, kind of stuff. And now you're doing with Trevor. I mean, it's just, it's pretty great to, you know, do you think you'll ever get back into coaching uh, or, or, or anything on the field like that? I know it's something that becomes an everyday thing. Yeah. I mean, if, so if the right opportunity came about, someone wanted to give me that opportunity to get back on the field, I'd love to, I'd love to be a part of it to help the youngsters coming in, you know, that, uh, to just groom some of these guys, because I'm going to tell you a lot of times young players come in and they're just thrown in the fire yeah. and you're, you just get thrown in there. With especially the around this, these parts here. Yeah. yeah especially with yeah. the new game of baseball, the, I call it the new game. <laughs> you know, there's a new a game. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, the Rockies could re- certainly use a different hitting coach. Maybe we start a little campaign, Manny. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, yeah. You know what? Mark has been on this train for a long no, time. He's, he's like, get, you know, good. so Ellis Burks, man, you never know. You never know. Hey, he's, we, he's been here. Then he knows he's been there, done that. Blake Street yeah. Bomber the whole bit. Hey, Ellis, we got to let you run. We're running out of time, but we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks, as man. Always. Appreciate your time. Um, have a good off season. Enjoy the postseason, and we'll talk to you again down the road. All right. Sounds good. There he goes. Take- Blake Street Bomber Ellis Burks, the one and only. Hey, Manny, you got a uh, closer for me? Yep, coming up. All right. Closer coming up. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars, past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. There have been more than 2,200 games played in Coors Field's 27-year history, and only once has there been a no-hitter thrown at the most hitter-friendly park in the majors. So this edition of The Closer is dedicated to the one and only Hideo Nomo, who thrilled fans on both sides of the Pacific when he made his MLB debut with the Dodgers in 1995, and then went on to a fantastic 12-year Major League career in which he was the NL Rookie of the Year, an All-Star, and threw two no-hitters, the first one in Denver 26 years ago this week. It came on a cold and wet night in the Mile High City on September 17, 1996. It was on that evening, following a long rain delay, that Nomo twirled the only no-no at Coors. Yes, Kyle Freeland came within two outs of achieving the feat against the White Sox in 2017, but Melky Cabrera broke that up with one out in the ninth, leaving Nomo as the only man to do what the legendary Vince Scully said was something that many thought could never be done. The Rockies lineup that night featured our guest on today's podcast, Ellis Burks, as well as fellow Blake Street Bombers Dante Bichette, Andre Scalaraga, and Vinny Castilla. Facing that lineup at Coors was an incredibly tall order no matter who the opposing pitcher. But on this night, there was no match for Nomo. Burks, who had a career year that season, launching 40 homers and stealing 32 bases, drew one of four walks Nomo issued, but that was all the right-hander would yield to Colorado. Nomo struck out eight, including Burks, for the last out of the contest, contest on his 110th pitch. The Dodgers won it 9 to nothing on 14 hits, 11 of which were singles. Will we ever see another no-hitter at Coors? In baseball, it's hard to say never about anything. But it's not hard to imagine going the rest of our lives without seeing it happen again. This is Coors we're talking about, after all. So here's to you, Hideo Nomo. You stand alone in the nearly three-decade history of Coors Field. Your performance on September 17, 1996, still has us marveling to this day. Another one's in the books, so I'll do it for this episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to the one and only Ellis Burks for being our guest, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, we'll see you at Coors Field.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.